church family, if you have a copy of God's Word, if you take it and turn with me to Jeremiah, Old Testament prophet, as we consider the theme we have just sung together, that he has come for us. And for us, the people of God, that gives us great hope. This Advent season, we'll be considering together the Christ of Christmas. For us, the truth uh, that Christ, the promised Messiah, has come, and he has come for us. We'll consider different uh, passages of Scripture in the Old Testament that give a picture of the hope, joy, love, and, and peace that we have and that we find in the promised Messiah. And so in preparation for us celebrating the birth of Christ, we'll consider how, how these prophets kind of paint a picture for us of how Jesus has come to be the fulfillment of that promise. And we'll begin that today by seeing how Christ has come to give us hope. And as I was studying and preparing for this this week, I remember the, the sermon series that we ended uh, last week through First Peter and the one we're beginning today as we begin with hope. I think hope is, is actually a great bridge for us from our series in First Peter to our Advent theme this year. Uh, because what we see is we have hope. The people of God have hope even in, in these seasons and in this life because we know and, and we see and, and, and we belong to God. And God has given us a, a great gift that we gather as Christians to celebrate and worship each and every Christmas, and that is the gift of His Son. And so today, just for a moment, we will see and consider how that gift of His Son gives hope to the people of God. As we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we just, uh, in so many ways, we confess. God, I, I know many of us traveled in from out of town yesterday or getting settled after a, a beautiful holiday, Thanksgiving with friends and family, and uh, we're kind of beginning uh, to think through, or maybe beginning or in the middle of thinking through our Christmas and Christmas season and kind of the in-between holiday season. And God, it's our prayer this morning, God, that we, uh, your people, would, would come before you, and Lord, we would be captivated by the truth of your word, that we would see and behold the Christ that you have sent to us, the Messiah that you have sent to us, the Savior that has come for us at Christmas. And Lord, I pray that you would use that truth to give hope to our hearts this morning. From all the places that we come from, for all the things that we're wrestling with this morning, all the struggles, all the anxieties, all the weights and all the burdens, Lord, we pray that your hope would dawn on them, that we would have hope within them. And so, Lord, that's not something I can accomplish in, in my strength or in my power, Lord, but that's something only that can be found in the truth of your word and the power of your spirit. So, God, we come to you willing and ready and eager to sit underneath the truth of your word. So teach us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we think through life, there's a lot of times in life where you hear phrases or hear people say, but I promise in our home, when our kids look us in the eye and say, but I promise, Daddy, I didn't do this, or I did do that. For us, that's almost like the admission of guilt in our house, right? It's a cover-up for evil. Uh, we say it in friends and relationships sometimes. I promise I did do this. I promise I did not do this. What Christmas provides us as Christians is the reality that this is not true of God that he never makes a promise that he does not keep. We're reminded of that each and every Christmas, each and every Advent season, that God is a God who keeps his promises. In my study this week, just in this brief text, 
overviewing some of these Old Testament prophecies. 116 prophecies contain an Old Testament reference about what would happen and a New Testament passage that describes how it did happen. What we have in the context of God's Word is promises made and promises kept. And they are kept in the person of Jesus. Or as some would say, as many would say, that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. Every promise that God has ever made is yes and amen in Jesus, fulfilled in Jesus. And it does us good as we enter into uh, this season for us to pause just a moment and remember that the promises of God often come into a waiting world, into a waiting heart. You see, there were 400 years between when the book of Malachi ended and, and the gospel accounts began. 400 years of relative quiet, relative silence. Some would say, we know based upon our view of God, based on the truth of Scripture, that God was working in that time, in that season. But that's a good reminder for us in our hearts that God and his promises often come to us in seasons of waiting. When we find ourselves in seasons of waiting, that's ripe ground for God to step in. That's a ready heart for God to step in. And so for us this morning, what we want to find within us is, is a willing and ready heart, ready to receive the hope that we have in God. So because this is true, in Jeremiah chapter 33, we'll see together today the hope that we have in God and his coming, both in his first coming that we celebrate at Christmas and also in his second coming that we'll celebrate together for all eternity. Let's begin by considering the hope that we have in the promise of God. Jeremiah chapter 33, I'll read verses 14 through 16. Jeremiah writes, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch, notice that's capitalized in your Bible, to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will, will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The context of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is written to, to write, to, talk, to, to, to call the people of God to restoration. And he's written to call them to restoration through a new covenant. The context of chapter 33, if you look at the chapter headings, you see the Lord promises peace. And second, before verse 14, the Lord's eternal covenant with David. And so you see the promise of God is coming true in the Davidic covenant, the eternal promise that God had made to David, King David, that God will set up an eternal kingdom through David's bloodline is the promise of God. Verse 14, Jeremiah says, I will fulfill the promise that I have made to the house of David. And what is that promise? He says, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. This branch is a reference to the king of kings who would come from the lineage of David. And, and look at when it would come. It would come in those days and at that time, is what Jeremiah says. It's the perfectly ordained place, the perfectly ordained time in which God will cause this righteous branch to spring up. And look at the declarative sentences in which Je the prophet Jeremiah writes with. 
He says, I will fulfill the promise. I will cause this branch to spring up. These are things that God is declaring will happen. Promises that he is declaring that he will make. Promises that he, will, he is declaring that he will keep. And the greatest promise for us here today is that God will act, did act, and will act, continue to act, for the good of his people. How will he act? This text says that he will execute justice. He will execute righteousness in the land. And what then will the result be for the people of God? The result will be salvation and security for the people of God. So much so that the land will be called the Lord is our righteousness. Now we recognize today in our world we are a far long cry from this truth, from this reality. But we know this is a, a promise that is fulfilled in Jesus in his first coming and will be finally and fully fulfilled in Jesus at his second coming. In his first coming, when Jesus came, it was a fulfillment of the promise of God. Jeremiah uses this language, in those days and at that time, God acted on behalf of his people to execute justice and righteousness in the land for his people. Or to say that differently, that God in Christ did what he said that he would do. He has accomplished that in Christ. But we know that Christ will come again. And that also is a fulfillment of promise, that in those days and at that time, God will act on behalf of his people. And justice and righteousness will reign again, but this time forever. For us, Christmas is a beautiful reminder for the people of God that God keeps his promises, that our king has come. Listen to how Luke chapter 1 describes this. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the, the promise of God that we have received in Jesus, that he is from his father David. He's from that lineage. He will reign over the house of Jacob. And of his kingdom there will be no end. See, by the invitation of Christ, that is the kingdom that is ours in Christ, that our king will come again, and his kingdom will have no end. And that gives hope to the king's people. So you see, for us here, a few days after Thanksgiving on a cold, windy, rainy Sunday morning, there's hope in our hearts because Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise. And for us as Christians, there should be hope in our hearts because our God is a promise-keeping God, that he has come to fulfill his promises in us and to us, and therefore we can hope in the promise of God. And that hope is crystal clear as we see in verse 17 and 18, that hope is crystal clear for the people of God. Jeremiah continues in verse 17 and 18. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. You see, what Jeremiah reminds us of is this is a promise. He goes back to the lineage of David. 
And God's promise through David's lineage is this, that the king on the throne will rule forever. And there will be a priest in the temple who will worship forever. Us, God's covenant people, those that he has purchased for us by the redemption, by the shed blood of Christ on the cross for us, these promises are true. The one who will rule and the one whom we worship is set. Therefore, there is no need for us to worry that in all the chaos of the world, we, this morning, the people of God, the church of the living God, we can have confidence in Christ. That gives us hope. Let's explore this a little further. The Son of God, whose birth we celebrate at Christmas, is our two things that we see in these verses. He's our forever king, and he is our great high priest. He is our forever king. Verse 17, thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. The Old Testament promised that this Messiah would come, promised this king would sit on the throne and rule for eternity. The New Testament is the story of this king who has come, Jesus, the Messiah. And then at the end, in Revelation, we see that this king will one day return. He's called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when he comes, he will leave no doubt that he is our forever king. So you see, we have hope, the people of God have hope today because we worship this king, this forever king. But this forever king is also our great high priest. I love how Hebrews chapter 4 describes this. So since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. The promise is, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every, every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, the people of God, we can draw near to God because of the birth of Jesus, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And in that nearness, there is hope for the hurting heart this morning. That Jesus has come to occupy the throne of David and to occupy it forever. And in that place, he has made the forever sacrifice for your sin. And Jeremiah was prophesying for God's people that this true and final fulfillment would come to us through Christ, our Savior. Church, this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our hearts this morning, that hope has come to you. It is the great reminder every single Christmas season that hope has come to you. The fulfillment of the promise is found in the final sacrifice of sin on the cross for you, that God himself sent his son, born of a virgin, to live in sinless perfection, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for your sin, that you, by grace, through faith, could turn to him from your sin, from yourself, and find salvation. So that, Hebrews chapter 4, you may receive mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. There's hope for the people of God this morning, true hope for the people of God. In the coming of Christ, Jesus has brought his kingdom to earth. That's what he did the first time. And in his second coming, he will make the earth his eternal kingdom. And so we live in that promise 
and therefore our hearts should be captivated by this hope. Hope for God's people is found in the invitation into eternity. I love how Hebrews says this, that he lives to make intercession on our behalf, that he lives to intercede for you. All this is true because you are the people of God, because we have placed our hope and faith in Jesus, and all this is rooted in the word of God. Let's see how we can, as the people of God, hope in the word of God, verses 19 through 26. Verse 19, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, if you break my covenant with the day and the covenant with the night, so that day and night will not come at their appointed time. Verse 21, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. And my covenant with the, Le- the, with the Levitical priest, my ministers, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant, and the Levitical priest who minister to me. Verse 23, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Have you not observed that these people are saying the Lord has rejected the two clans that he chose? Thus they have despised my people, so they are no longer a nation in their sight. Verse 25, thus says the Lord, If I have not established my covenant with day and night and fixed the order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob and David, my servant, and will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look at this promise in this last sentence. For I will restore their fortunes and have mercy on them. There's hope for us in the word of God. It's a confusing text. Jeremiah is saying a lot in those short verses. But notice where Jeremiah roots our hope. It's rooted in the word of God. You see, we we live in a world that seeks to remove the hope of God from the word of God. We think that we can have greater hope or or more hope or more fulfilling hope if if we depart the word of God and, and find our own truth and go our own way. But what Jeremiah makes crystal clear in these verses is all these prophecies that he is speaking are from the word of God. They're all spoken by God's word. And we recognize in our culture that we live in a world that's tempted to sacrifice, to pollute, to twist the word of God. And I think for us as Christians at Christmas, it is a reminder that we hope, and our hope is not distant or abstract, it's real and concrete and tangible. And it's found within God's word. Jeremiah makes crystal clear whose word he's speaking. Verse 14, days are coming, declares the Lord. Verse 17, thus says the Lord. Verse 19, this is the word of the Lord. Verse 20, thus says the Lord. Verse 23, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Verse 25, thus says the Lord. Do you get the impression here that Jeremiah is speaking the Lord's word to the Lord's people? He's not making this up on the fly. He's received truth from God, and as a prophet, he's communicating God's truth to God's people. And thus, for us, the lesson is, our hope is in the word of God. To sacrifice the truth of Scripture on the altar of of culture or on the altar of, of conformity is to distort the hope of Christmas. 
there was a, a little tourist trap, I would call it, an attraction near where we used to live. It was called Mystery Hill, and, and the whole house was built to be like this optical illusion. But you walk in, and they have those mirrors that make you look like nine feet tall, or they have those mirrors that make your face look like an S, you know what I'm talking about? They distort the whole image of who you are, and for some reason, people pay to go in and see that. I don't know why. Some people do. But they distorted who you were for the sake of entertainment. And might I argue that that is the greatest temptation of culture in our day at Christmas. They want to take the truth, the reality, the hope of God's word, take it and distort it and turn it into entertainment and depart from the word of God, which we believe is the source of the hope of God. So Christmas without the truth of Christ is a, dis- is a distortion of the image of Christ. And what Jeremiah is writing in this prophecy to remind us, the people of God, he goes to such great lengths to tell us, to remind us, to encourage us as God's people that true, real, and lasting hope is only found in one place, and that one place is in the Word of God. It's fascinating as you look through this text, verse 19 through 21, what's happening here, what's unfolding here is the world's attempts to distort or break the commitment that God has made to his people. That's the story of of, of what's happening in verses 19 through 21. And as the world is trying to break this commitment that God made, trying to distort the purposes of God, look how God intervenes in verse 22 and 23. He steps in and says, I will multiply the offspring of David and of the priest. He's saying the world can try all these schemes. They can put all this effort into all this work, but I am going to fulfill my promises. That I will multiply the offspring of David. This is a beautiful connection here to God's promise going all the way back to the book of Genesis, to Abraham. God's promise to David. And the promise is the same, that God will multiply his people. And the next step in this connection is found in the Great Commission. It's the promise that God has given to us, that God will accomplish his purposes. And the people of God are to be marked by this disciple-making heart that we are to go and make disciples of all nations to multiply his image, to multiply his people all over the earth. And rest assured, look at how verse 25 says this, that just as God has fixed the order of heaven and earth, so God has also fixed his purposes on earth. He's saying in these verses, listen, I have planned this, I have prepared this, I am executing this, therefore you can hope in this. Why? Verse 26, the enduring promise. For I will restore their fortunes, and I will have mercy on them. An invitation into hope this morning, that you can hope in God because he will restore you. That you can hope in God because he will have mercy on you. So Christmas for us, again, is the reminder that the purpose of God will stand. And the birth of Jesus is the proof that we can hope in him because he has come. And today as we await his second coming, we can hope in him because he will come again. And that's what Jeremiah is writing to encourage God's people to to look for and long for in his first coming. And might I encourage our hearts this morning as we look for and long for and await his second coming, may we take these same encouragements to our own hearts and may they provide hope for us because Christ has come to give us hope. And so you see, this Advent season is a reminder for us as the people of God to return to God, that his hope is secure, that his promises are true, 
and you can hope in them. As we begin the Christmas season, I think it's helpful and I would say necessary for us just in a moment, just to voice the reality for us. Like, listen, hope is not just meaningless Christmas banter. Like, it's not just a sermon topic that I pulled off the wall this week after Thanksgiving. Like, hope for the people of God is tangible. It's real. And it's for your heart. And it's also for your life. As we've said multiple times throughout our sermon series in 1 Peter, there is no such thing as a hopeless Christian. It's not possible. And so for us, as we deal with the reality of the Christmas season, let's be encouraged that hope has come for you. Hope has come for us. And if we can take a moment to apply this to the depths of your heart this morning, that the reality is some of you this Christmas season will be marked by a loneliness that a lot in this world know not of. For you, this Christmas season, perhaps it's the first one, you navigating together without the loss of a loved one or without family near to comfort you. Perhaps this Christmas season will surface guilt in your heart over past decisions that have led to consequences, the, the realities of this Christmas season. Maybe that's marked by sinfulness or addiction or or, or, or a heart that's marked by hurting. You see, this hope that we speak of this morning isn't ignoring those things. Like, it's, it's in those things. Perhaps this Christmas season for you, you'll be a reminder that your family's broken. Maybe there's a, a son or daughter who won't come home, who doesn't come home because of a fractured relationship. Maybe there's a, a grandchild that's walked away from the faith and this Christmas season resurfaces that in your heart. Or maybe all your family will gather around your table this Christmas and celebrate the Christmas season together, but your family will never make it past just superficial pleasantries. There's a shallowness there in those relationships. You see, in all those evidences of brokenness, hope speaks to them. Because what we know of God through the gift of his son is that he has come to heal the hurting. He has come to mend Brokenness. He, he has come to restore relationships that are broken. And so that's how we take this beautiful idea of hope and apply it to the depths of your heart this season. You see, for us, some application, either the one I mentioned or maybe there's one that I missed, is true in your heart. It'll be true in your family. But Jesus has come this holiday season not to ignore that, but to bring hope to that. So for us, the great reminder is this, that we need to remember who Jesus came to be and the hope that he has come to bring. And the invitation is to hope in the promise of God, that God is a God who keeps his promises, to hope for the people of God, that we as the body of the living God can hope in our living Savior. And all of that hope is rooted in the word of God. So for us, this Advent season, this Christmas season, the invitation is just to, to turn to him again and again and again and again and again and place your hope in him. Find hope within him. For whatever piece of brokenness or despair might enter into your heart or life or your relationships this Christmas season, turn to Jesus. He is the one who can give you hope. 
as we think by way of invitation this morning, the most natural question is this. Do you have this hope? This hope is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth that God sent his son to give you salvation, to give you eternal life forever in heaven with him, and to give you abundant life here on this earth. Do you have a living relationship with your living Savior? It's the only way that you can have hope this season. For us who do have this hope, then the application is this, the invitation is this. Do you live with this hope? Does this hope mark your heart? Does it mark your life? Every conversation, every relationship, every work situation, every family relationship, are they marked by this sort of hope? Why does all this matter? Because Jesus has come, and he has come to give hope to us. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for the truth of your word. Lord, as we see it, as we seek to understand it, Lord, as we seek to obey it, as we seek to apply it, Lord, only you, by the power of your spirit, can apply this reality to each of our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray now as we respond to your word, Lord, that you would look within our hearts and see the hopelessness that selfishness and sin can cause. And Lord, remind us of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps someone here needs to turn to that for the first time. Lord, perhaps someone here today needs to return to that for the thousandth time. Either way, Lord, as we take a moment and respond to the truth of your word, we pray that your hope would captivate our hearts. So Lord, whatever it will take for you to accomplish that, we pray that you would find within us a willingness to obey, a willingness to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.